Welcome to the Dynasty Junkies Podcast with your hosts, Rocky Petrella and Dustin Church. Let's get to the show. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to episode three of the Dynasty Junkies Podcast. Now a proud member of the Dynasty Addicts Podcast Network. I'm here, Rocky Petrella, Dynasty Junkie number one, with uh, along with Dynasty Junkie number two, Dustin Church. I've decided since I talk first, I'm number one. I hope you're okay with that, Dustin. Yeah, we all, we all know you're the star of the show. <laughs> so, how you doing? I'm doing well. You know, it's the sun just came out here randomly. It's been raining all day. Uh, you know, feeling feeling good. Weekend's coming up, so yeah. A little bit of bad news about my Seahawks that you know our guest kind of rubbed into my face a little bit earlier, but you know, um, other than that, we're doing all right. What about you, Rocky? How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. The weather here is finally starting to get really nice too. So uh, we were just talking before the show. I got this quarantine here, but other than that, I'm doing pretty good. And this week we have the extremely knowledgeable and nicest person in the fantasy community, Bobby Koch, on the show. Our, our first non-trade addicts guest. How you doing, Bobby? Well, I'm honored to be your first non-trade addicts guest. Um, it's funny that you guys let off with number one and number two. I didn't even tell you this before we started recording. But I just found out I'm going to be an uncle. My wife's brother is having a kid. And they introduced that to us by putting on like thing one and thing two shirts and then holding up a thing three shirt on Zoom. So I guess that's just the uh, theme of my night. Also, at least one of those things is kind of true. I'm a nice person. I don't know if I'm the nicest person. <laughs> Extremely knowledgeable, I will not give you. Uh, to borrow a term from our friend, uh, Zach Reed, who is in a league with us, I am just a dummy. <laughs> Stop being bashful. You know, you know what you bring to the community. We uh, we appreciate having you on. Uh, tell everyone where they can find you. Uh, follow you on Twitter and kind of everything you do. Yeah, uh, you can find me at Rekt Fantasy. That's R E K E D Fantasy. And as John Bosch likes to say. I am not a Twitter tough guy. Don't listen to him. I, as Rocky said, I'm actually very nice. I don't put up a front online like some people. Um, you can find my work at Dynasty League Football, which is just DL Football on Twitter, as well as DynastyLeagueFootball.com. And I occasionally host a podcast that may or may not be making a return. We've been working on it. And it is called the Zuperflex Podcast, which is a combination of knowledge about quarterbacks as well as animals it's very niche but if you like those things you'll enjoy listening yeah the i listened to all the episodes and i thought it was fantastic i looked forward to all of them coming out and i was bummed when you guys took your break so i'm i'm hoping that it, it comes back yeah we're working on it matt and i have been talking um we've been trying to record an episode for the past few weeks just schedules have gotten in the way and also we've been trying to get a guest on and that guest schedule has also been getting in the way. But so we may or may not be coming back. We're trying though. We're trying. Okay. Before we get into the meat of the show, um, I threw this on the late in the week onto the show sheet, but um, I had put out a tweet earlier this week because I I'd had a discussion with a friend. He was looking to trade uh, Miles Sanders and trying to figure out, you know, what he needed to add to, um, to get or actually what needed to be i think he wanted to see what needed to be added to aj brown and i i actually thought um he needed to add to sanders so i threw a tweet out there it actually got 1700 votes so i thought it might just be a little interesting discussion point 
um, about Miles Sanders versus AJ Brown. They're both pretty hyped players this offseason. One might say overhyped. Um, I was actually a little surprised. Uh, AJ Brown lost the poll 45 55 to Sanders. I get positional scarcity, but I actually prefer AJ Brown over Sanders. What do you guys think? Go ahead, Bobby. I was going to say you can go ahead. Uh, <laughs> funny enough, I traded one of my Miles Sanders shares today. I don't know if you guys saw that or not, but I traded him and uh, why am I blanking? Oh, uh, Hawkinson yeah. for Derrick Henry and Travis Kelsey. And it's a league with a huge tight end premium, kind of similar to the Trade Addicts leagues. Uh, Travis Kelsey in across all players was the 15th highest scorer in the league last year. So I was pretty happy to get him. Um, don't get me wrong. I love Miles Sanders, but I don't see a huge downgrade, at least for this year, to Derrick Henry. And I'm not a big believer in running backs having long-term value. If I get two to three years out of my running backs in fantasy, I'm ecstatic. If I get one great year, that's already enough for me to go, great. I got value out of you. Now I'm going to try to flip. So for me, it's clearly, if you're trying to build around someone, it's brown. But in terms of positional scarcity, I get while well, some people would go Sanders. But for me, it's always I'm going to lean towards the young, good wide receiver. And Dustin. Yeah. Yeah, I'll piggyback kind of what both of you guys said. I I agree. It, it's Brown. If you needed a running back and you wanted to give up a, a wide receiver, I understand that. But I would be looking to sell somebody that isn't young and productive like A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown is a guy that you can have – eight to 10 years versus the the two to three, maybe four out of Sanders. So I'm right there with you guys, AJ Brown. You know, I want to build around those young stud receivers and he's that, and he's what you want going forward. It's interesting, Rocky, that you picked AJ Brown over Miles Sanders being that, that resident Eagles fan over there. Yeah. And I even said last week on the podcast that I love Sanders, not just because I'm an Eagles fan, but, and I mentioned that, you know, Peterson has never had, um, a Miles Sanders before, but I still think Peterson's going to use the committee. There's the Hyde rumors, and I still expect that not to have a big effect on Miles Sanders. But um, I don't think there is the risk factor of, of something of a committee. Boston Scott's going to get receiving work, um, so I, I don't really think the risk factor is being baked in. I, I looked at the the DLF ADP. This is one QB because I don't think they have super flex for May yet, but he was at like 17 overall. And that's just, that's to me like his ceiling. So um, I, I'd rather have the young receiver too. I, I, I think, he, I mean, he finished as, as a wide receiver too last year. And um, that was based on a pretty low target volume. And uh, people, you know, can say that, Tennessee's not going to pass the ball a ton, but he's still the clear number one. He's going to get more targets last year. He wasn't involved as much early. So, yeah, I'm I'm like A.J. Brown over Sanders. I still love Sanders, don't get me wrong, but I want A.J. Brown over him. I was a little surprised by the poll. Just to play devil's advocate real quick, because um, I always do this. I try to make myself see both sides of how a trade could work out or players could work out. Um I have tried, so I've always been, since I started playing Dynasty, as I said, I lean towards young wide receivers and building my teams around those. In some recent startups I've done, including some of ours, I've actually drafted running backs earlier than I typically would, or at least multiple running backs earlier than I typically would. 
And the thing is, while young wide receivers are nice and you want those studs to build around, wide receiver, and I talked about this a second ago with the positional scarcity, wide receiver is so much more stacked than running back that if you grab those running backs early or even trade for them, it's much easier to find a close, you know, replacement level wide receiver than it is a running back. So in some ways, I understand the people who are selecting Miles Sanders, and I could even talk myself into it depending on my team. But I just can't get away from A.J. Brown personally. And I know that if he repeats what he did just from doing some studies on this ADP values with young wide receivers, if he repeats what he did, he's going to be at minimum a second round startup pick next year. And I think he might already be. So then he's going to be a first round startup pick in ADP. And those are the guys you want on your dynasty roster. Yeah. And just from production too, I was looking at it um, last year, Miles Sanders didn't really go off until the, until the end of the year when basically everybody Howard got her. I looked, I think through week 12, he was RB 28 and he ended up finishing close to being an RB one, but that was mostly through those last four games when they had nothing else. They were using him in the passing game. They're using him in the running game. So, like I said, I still like him. I still think on a, you know, 12 to 15 touch basis, he, he can be productive, but I just, like I said, I don't think people are treating him as though he's already a stud running back and he's not quite there yet. 100% agree. I actually uh, just bought a J Brown two days ago. I gave up a uh, Drake Edmonds, Brian Edwards and Nikhil Harry. And I got AJ Brown and Kareem hunt felt, felt pretty awesome to get that offer in my inbox the other day. Nice. <laughs> just had to throw that out there. <laughs> Whenever you can flex on a good trade that you made, you have to, that's the rule. It, it was a buddy of mine and it was a, in a home league that has some um, people from Twitter on it as well, but he, we can never get a deal done because we agree and like we're the same type of owner. So like we just, our values are the same and none of us want to budge in the way we deal. And he sent this to me and I was like, yeah, okay. Snap accept. Like I didn't have to. So it was really interesting with him specifically because we can never get a deal done. So it was even better. Okay. And with that, I think we're going to move on to the commish corner now. Commissioner corner. Our, our topic this week is it's kind of a general topic, but basically auction versus snake draft for the startup. I, I've heard pros and cons for both sides. I'm definitely a snake draft guy. I get people say the auction way is fair, but I'm all about trading. So <laughs> it's much easier to trade in a, in a snake draft startup. Um, you can auction. Basically, all you can do is if you're allowed to trade at all is trade, you know, bidding dollars. And people I've heard people say, well, you know, you can get this guy. You can you know, you can get multiple first rounds i mean you can get multiple high-end guys in a snake draft too you just gotta you gotta trade for them and people will say well you don't have to trade for them you know you don't have to give up these great assets to to get the high-end guys in an auction but you're also there's an opportunity cost there of if you do draft two first round type guys then you're basically it's almost the same difference to me like you're you're just getting lesser guys anyway so it's sort of the equivalent of trading like you're you know, third round or second round startup pick anyway. Um, what are your guys' takes on it? Bobby? Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I was vehemently anti-auction when I started auction. And I think that's probably because like most people who start things, I was terrible at it. So I was like, I'm bad at this and I don't like it. Um, 
as I've gotten more familiar with auctions, I've enjoyed them more. I like having a balance. I know you're not allowed to say why not both, but that's essentially why what I'm saying here <laughs> is I like having snake drafts and I like having auction drafts. I will say as time has gone on, I've tended more towards my auction drafts. Uh, part of that is just because if you're like me, you love strategy and there, in my opinion, is way more strategy in auction and figuring how people will bid on certain players or trade for dollars mid-auction. Um, it does also, I'm not going to lie, it causes, despite the fact that I like it, it also causes me a lot of anxiety where I will wake up at like three in the morning and check my auctions and bid on stuff so that I can be like, all right, this is 12 hour clock. It's going to end in the middle of the workday. So no one will know that I'm trying to sneak this guy through for like five bucks in our middle of our rookie draft. And it never works, by the way. Someone always sees it during their like lunch break and you're just like, well, I tried. And you still wake up the next night anyway. But, you know, I've had discussions with people on Twitter constantly that are anti-auction or anti-snake. And to me, it's just, I think it was even, I'm talking a lot about Zach Reed tonight. Um, you might even think that we're friends or something, but he was the one who said recently, and I agree with him, that he's almost format agnostic at this point. He just wants to play with people who are fun to play with. That's pretty much how I am too. You, If you want, I'm not joining any new leagues, although I said that and I joined definitely not a new league. However, that said, if you want me to join a new league, the best way to do it is to tell me that a bunch of people I really like are joining it and that a few other people that you can vouch for are uh, joining as well. So that's my answer. Why not both? And if you die on a hill, I'm sorry. I'm going to try to not follow Bobby 100%. I, I, I too like both. I was I did my first auction, I think, two or three years ago. First Dynasty auction. I had done some auctions back in like redraft days and just to try something new but i really like the strategy that auction brings in auction you really see market values like you can you can really play the market when it comes to auctions like if if there's big news about somebody you put them up on the block and they're going to go for so much more money and get those people to use their money so that frees up money for you later on and you know, you, you can really get your sleepers like, like late, you know, and a lot of people in the auctions I've been in, I did a couple of the quarantine auctions with uh, John Bosch and people just were basically going down the board and, and auctioning who was on the top of the board and not really being like, you know, they weren't being strategic with it. And I like being able to be strategic with it and build my team how I want to. And the auction allows you to not have to worry about those runs that happen in, in drafts. And, you know, I, I, I do love trading. So that's the part I like of a snake draft, but you know, you can really build your team how you want to and don't have to worry about what the draft is doing and you can just do your own strategy. So that's, that's why I prefer auctions. Okay. Yeah. I, and I, I, I hear that and there is some strategy involved there. Um, I just like I said, I, I like the trading aspect. I I, I just I, there's also the also the uh, price enforcement issue where you can it, you're never going to get stuck in a snake draft with a guy you don't want. That's another reason I kind of prefer snake drafts. Um, whereas you know you try and do the price enforcing thing and you might not even want that guy and then you get stuck with them. But 
any other thoughts there on the auction versus snake? Well, so to the point of price enforcing and getting stuck with someone, I was just going to say, and I'm sorry, I always have to like debate things. That's just the way I'm wired. <laughs> um, that is part of your strategy. No one is forcing you to price enforce. And even if you get stuck with that guy, you should be getting stuck with them at a value. And if you didn't, that's a lesson of how to either not auction or auction. So yeah, that's a good point. If you get stuck with that guy, you probably can trade them. And if you can't, or at least not get good value out of them, that's a lesson for future auctions. And I, in this auction, by the way, John Bosch is in this league. He's the one who I've debated multiple times when I didn't like auctions about why auctions were so much superior, essentially. And now I've somewhat come along to his way of thinking. Um, that first auction I had, as I said, I was pretty terrible. I'm not going to lie. I kind of had like a middle of the road team because I played it too conservative and safe and whatever and ended up with a team that I ended up rebuilding very quickly. But what's been super fun for me now, it was realizing that mid-season, selling off a bunch of pieces and basically just dominating the rookie auctions and getting all these rookies that normally, if I traded for picks, I probably wouldn't have ended up with. Like last year, I got Daniel Jones, Miles Sanders, Nikhil Harry, and Hawkinson, who were all first-rounders. And I think some of them I got for less than a first-round price just because I was more or less controlling the board. So while I agree with you, all these things that people complain about with auctions ultimately end up being like what I said earlier, which is I'm relatively new to auctions. I'm inexperienced with them. And that makes me mad because I don't have the experience or practice yet. And I just want to be naturally good at this. Whereas snake drafts are much, and I realize I'm rambling a bit, but snake drafts are much more forgiving of mistakes than auctions. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm with you too on the, you know, why not both? I I I don't hate auctions. I just prefer the snake draft. I've done I just recently started a salary cap league a few months ago where the, the draft was auctioned. So I like both, but I just prefer the snake draft. And that, that salary cap league that you started, there was a couple of trades that were done in the middle of the draft. Uh, some of them with players that were already drafted. So, you know, if if you have good good owners like that activity will still happen i think i was one of them i think i made a couple trades in that i don't know i make trades in every draft i do that's a whole nother topic but yeah so activity will happen if you haven't tried an auction i would tell everyone out there just to try it there is nothing more rewarding and frustrating at the same time <laughs> getting redlined over and over and over again is yeah it's or you know you have a guy and one dollar more and it's just it it's a lot of fun but it's you have to have thick skin and you have to be i was just gonna you, say you have, do you guys have a problem with that because i've heard people call that like a, a dick move so to speak but uh, uh, to me no. that's part of the strategy that's what i was gonna say anything that you can do with your money is part of the strategy and yeah it's frustrating and there have been times in auctions when i've gotten redlined and i've let out a string of expletives that made my wife think that like i got horrific news about a family member or something and it turned out like oh, I just lost this $1 guy that I wanted at the very last minute and someone took him for $2 and I'm so mad that I'm going to like swear like a sailor. But it's part of the game. And ultimately, I think that's what people need to remember. Um, this is somewhat of a tangent, but it's also a rant. And I know you guys wanted Brian to bring the fire last week, so I need to follow it up a bit. Let's hear it. Which is just some people take the game of fantasy football way too seriously. And I realize we're all in this large community of Twitter analysts or whatever, 
And that's great. It's awesome. The community in general is pretty good. However, there's definitely people that are like, oh, this drives me so crazy when people do this when they're trading, or this drives me so crazy. And I'm, I was just as guilty of it as everyone else. And I'm still somewhat guilty of it sometimes. But ultimately, you need to take a deep breath and remind yourself, this is a game that we play for fun. If you're getting bent out of shape over these minor things that people do, including things like redlining, that yes, it's frustrating, but it's part of strategy and ultimately you should just laugh it off. You might want to find a different hobby because I've seen people legitimately get like super pissed off about fantasy football and like the minor, minor things. Like uh, another thing in auction, as you guys both know, is table talk. And I'm totally fine with it. I think it's hilarious when people start talking up players like, oh, this player is going so cheap. Someone should bid him up. I don't have the money. Listen, if you don't like it, this is going to sound very boshian of me. I think I just coined a new word. But if you don't like it, put it in your bylaws. Make it a rule that you cannot do that. If it's not a rule, it's fair game. And therefore, you should not complain about it. And you should take the game a little bit less seriously. That is my rant for this podcast. No, I love it. And, you know, we're in the commissioner corner section and I kind of talked about this last week. I'll piggyback a little bit off of what you just said, but your leagues should have bylaws. This doesn't really have anything to do with, you know, auction versus snake, but commissioners out there, you, you should have bylaws, a set of rules for the league that everyone's going to follow for any situation that can come up and it just protects yourself and protects the league. And then any owners out there, you know, you should want a commissioner that has bylaws in their leagues. Um, it shows that they're serious about this and that, you know, they want this to really be a long time league, not a league that's going to fizzle out after two to three years. So, you know, bylaws is a very super important aspect of, of the game that I think a lot of people don't really talk about. And I just, you want to make sure that your league has bylaws set up to protect yeah. you and the league. Totally agree. And, and Dustin can tell you he's in a couple of my leagues. My bylaws are like a novel. I try and cover everything that could possibly happen before it happens. It's it's the best way to, to keep controversies or problems from coming up. So definitely write out some bylaws. Have them on the site. MFL makes it super easy for you to do. Uh, I think Sleeper, you can do that as well. So yes, bylaws, a must. And with our commissioner topic that kind of leads into our next segment, which is the dynasty strategy segment dynasty strategy. And we're going to continue with startup topics here. So basically we're just talking general startup topics, startup strategy, trading. I put down here, we're going to talk about some auction strategies. So what do you guys have a general startup strategy? I basically just look I know there's some people who say you got to get RBs early and super flex. You got to get QBs. I just basically, uh, I've heard Brian Hart say this too. I'm basically just drafting for value. I don't target positions. I just, I will say that I generally, and Dustin knows this about me, that I am a guy who will not generally draft quarterbacks early. I like to wait on quarterbacks. I'm not, you know, taking Derek Carr in the eighth round as my QB one, but I'm almost never going to be the guy who drafts Mahomes or Lamar Jackson or anything like that. I try and get build up the other positions and, and feel I can cobble three or so quarterbacks together to, to get decent production. But other than that, I basically just look for the value in each round. Um, do you guys have any specific strategies you use or you go with the same general principle? Dustin, what do you think? 
I'm the same. I don't try to field my starting lineup at the draft. I, I'm not really worried about what my lineup is going to look like. I mean, if this if the league starts in like a couple of weeks after the draft, then I'm uh, thinking about the the lineup. But you know, I'm usually doing my starter drafts February, March, April, May. You know, you have plenty of time to make moves and and you know fix your roster if you're weak in a general area. The same way, I I'm looking for the value in the draft. Um, I'm usually also a trade back person in the draft. Um, I know Bobby talked that we, all three of us just did a, a startup league that is definitely not a new league. I was trying to trade back, but everybody else is trying to trade back. So I ended up trading up and somehow and I, Russ managed to pull it off anyway, but yeah. And Bobby and I've talked a couple times about trades and I have no picks for like two or three years just because I traded them all away because I just kept moving up. So I, I I was the guy that traded up to get Mahomes in at 102 in, in that draft. I I like to do opposite of whatever the the rest of the league is doing. So if, if everyone's trying to trade back, then it's going to make those prices to trade up cheaper because everybody else is trying to do it. And if everyone's trying to trade up, then I I try to trade back because everyone else is is paying to to trade up. Um, my my favorite strategy that I used to do and. Yeah, I'm, I do leagues with a lot of the same people and they don't allow me to get it done anymore, but I, I trade back and click future first. I, I remember our breaking bad league that Rocky started a couple years ago. I left the draft with a pretty solid starting lineup and 10 2019 firsts uh, leaving that draft. Um, that's been my strategy and, and people have caught on and don't really let me get away with it, but I love trading back collecting those future assets because everyone's always, you know, trying to jump up and get their guy and make, making people pay for it. So what do you think, Bobby? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I will say I'm very guilty of trying to feel the starting lineup. I've never been able to get away from that mindset, even though I recognize the strategy and value in not doing so. There's just something to coming away from the startup draft with essentially having at least an idea what your starting lineup is going to look like that mentally I just need. I don't know why. Uh, it's just like a mental block that I can't get away from. Like the people who talk about like drafting like 10 quarterbacks and then like having nothing else. I'm just like, kudos to you. Cause if you can find trade partners for that, great. But if you can't, you're screwed. And at least I won't be screwed. Um, that said, in terms of like specific positions, it's going to be a boring answer, but the answer is I'm adaptable. I see what other people are doing on the board and I adapt to that. So if everyone's going quarterbacks or driving up prices on quarterbacks and auctions, I will adjust what I was trying to do. And by the way, I will say this more so for auction than snake. The best plan is no plan. If you try to go into auction with a plan of like, oh, I'm only going to spend this much X, Y, Z on this position, it's probably going to backfire on you because your plans will get blown up mid-auction and then you'll overreact to them being blown up. And I know that from experience of at least my first few auctions. Um, where Snake, it's a little easier to do, but at the same time, it's kind of like you guys were talking about. It's not any kind of rocket science. You want to adjust to what people are doing. So, you know, if you're in the first round and you're at the end of the first and the first 10 picks in a super flex or quarterback, probably not the smartest move to take the 11th quarterback there. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up auction strategy. Cause I did want to talk about that too. Um, like you said, I, I, I 
sometimes feel I'm not as good at auction as snake draft. So maybe that's why part of the reason I do prefer snake draft. I do think you should have a budget going in. And I like to, to kind of vet, put a value on every player, depending what the cap is, but the, the budget also has to be adaptable. And that salary cap league we were talking about earlier, I had a, but I did actually have a budget for certain positions, a certain amount for starters, a certain amount for bench. And I just constantly adjusted through the draft though. I, cause I ended up, uh, Ended up winning, I think, uh, Hopkins and Devontae Adams, and they cost me like 70 bucks total, um, which I think was about a quarter of the budget. And I didn't have that much budgeted for for my receivers. Uh, And so, you know, I just moved it from somewhere else and said, okay, this is what I'm going to do now. So um, is that do you you basically use a budget or do you just just wing it in an auction draft then or what do you do? Yeah, so I used to use a budget and I used to adapt it a bunch. Now I've gotten to the point where I know what the total budget is, obviously. And I just kind of, I mean, most of, to be fair, most of my auctions at this point are rookie drafts, which are much easier to keep track of than startup drafts because there is a significantly smaller player pool. But that said, you know, I have a rough idea of what I want to spend on each player of the total budget and of my overall rookie money. But the nice thing about auction is, you know, if you really like a guy, let's say, um, I'm trying to think of a player that someone really, let's say Vaughn is your guy in the first round. He's not my guy in the first round, but let's say this year Vaughn is your guy in the first round and you see him on the rookie auction board and he's going for $200 and you said, oh, I'm only going to spend 210 on a rookie. But then you see he goes to 250 are you really going to let the 255 or 51 that it might take to get him stop you? I mean, at a certain point, you do want to stop. But if you really want that player, one of the things I like about auction, and Dustin alluded to it earlier, is you can go get your guys. Dustin, you want to chime in here? Yeah, I... I want to talk a little bit about the, the budget with auction. I don't necessarily... I don't do a budget... But I think you do have to track, and I'm I'm kind of more of a spreadsheet guru kind of guy. So I have like my my Excel spreadsheet out there that's auto calculating how much I spent per position, how much I my average spent was, how much my average per what I can fill the roster with is. Uh, I, I definitely think don't wing your first auction. It, it takes multiple to get really comfortable and familiar with with the strategy and just how, how to keep track of your money and, and what the rules are. I think that's a big part of the auction strategy. I've been in auctions where you have to fill your entire lineup. I've also been in auctions where you can go in and you can be five players less for your taxi that's going to be in the rookie draft. You know, if you don't know that going in, the ones that do know that, hey, I don't have to buy these extra five players, that gives them an extra however much per player that they can spend if you don't if you're not paying attention. So um, there's just a lot more to pay attention to an auction. Um, but I, I think I've heard of the budget. I've never done it with a budget. I've just done it with my own tracking. Uh, I don't really go in with. I don't want to spend more than this percentage on wide receiver or this much on quarterback. I I look for the values and and then track track my spending. Um, so that if I have to fill a roster, I can, and I'm aware of that. Yeah, I, I can't do the spreadsheet thing. I'm not the spreadsheet whiz, I guess, that you are. But um, And I, I think I've had a budget for probably every 
um, auction. I haven't done a ton of them, but for every auction that I've done, but I can also say, as I alluded to earlier, I, I don't think in any of them that I actually fit anything into the budget. So it, it's, it's constantly adapting anyway, but um, yeah, I can't do the spreadsheet thing. At least you guys are tracking. Cause honestly, I'm going to sound like I'm just like an actual dummy out here or just the chaotic uh, person, but I don't do pretty much either of that. I don't do a spreadsheet. I don't do budgeting anymore. I basically just go in and go, yeah, this number sounds about right. <laughs> I did. That's what I did with one of the, I tracked one of my, um, I did two of the uh, John Bosch's quarantine auctions. I, one of them I tracked, one of them I didn't, and my teams came out completely different. It was really interesting to just see that, but I, I just have a generic like auction template that I've already built. So it's not like I have to go rebuild it. So if anybody needs it, let me know and I can send that out to you. Um, but I do have a, just a generic auction template that I use. So I just put in the roster spots and then it does everything else for me. Okay. And um, we actually did get um, very late a tweet response to, um, to me tweeting out about the um, startup, Topics we were going to do tonight and someone wanted, and this kind of goes back to something you said earlier, Dustin is what are you guys thoughts on punting the startup? Basically. Um, that's what they wanted to know the pros and cons kind of, I guess, sort of like trading back. Like you said, picking up first, uh, you said that has worked for you, Dustin. Yeah, it, I think it works really well because I know what that value is on rookie picks the next year especially the last couple of rookie drafts in those leagues where I've traded back and picked up all those first, I rarely made any of those picks. I was able to trade them for, for studs um, and, and set my lineup there. And then I'm competing going forward. And I don't have to worry anymore. Um, it, it works for me. I don't fully punt though. I, I still believe that, you know, quarterbacks are cheapest in, in the draft and so I, I try to get a good foundation of quarterbacks and then I get, you know, my guys that I believe like are, are going to be the foundational pieces. If I can get them, you know, the young up and coming running backs, you know, if I'm punting a year then I don't want to get any of those old veterans, I want the young guys that can increase in value. And I want those guys that could end up being my foundation in the next year or two, because if I'm punting, you're, you're still not going to compete that next year. You're still probably two years out if you're going to punt that first year. So that's something to be aware of. If if it it's a strategy that can work, and you, the whole point is of building a dynasty to to compete year in and year out. So punting can work, just you have to be patient with it. I've seen a lot of people that have tried to punt and then they get impatient and then their whole then they start trading their picks in the middle of year one and then they can't really recover because those don't have the value and then you're just kind of a middling team at that point. Like if you're going to punt, you have to commit and you have to be patient and you have to be okay losing in year one and probably year two, maybe year three. It's funny you say that because the one I'm I generally another strategy with my start. I'm generally much more win now um, in any startup I do. Not that I'm drafting a ton of old guys, but um, I'm generally not um, you know punting startups or or drafting. Um, a bunch of rookies or anything like that. But 
Um, the one time I did try and do that a couple of years ago in a league um, we were in together, Dustin, the Back to the Future League, is I did trade back a bunch. I picked up eight firsts, and I did what I guess is now called the Outhouse Challenge after that draft and was forced to trade five of them that, that I didn't want to do. But it actually, I made the playoffs. This was last year. I made the playoffs that year, and, and I'm looking pretty good this year and still have actually 103 and 105. So it can work even quicker, apparently. I wasn't even trying to make it work that quickly, but it, it ended up working out. So um, have you ever done the, the punting the startup thing or just trying to pick up a bunch of first, Bobby? Um, not exactly. I So in my original Dynasty League, I realized pretty quickly on that I was a middling team. So I did end up selling a bunch and got a bunch of first, like Dustin mentioned earlier. And I actually got to the point, I had this, and I detailed this in a series for Dynasty League football, but I got to the point where I had all studs starting in my lineup by like year two or three. And it was a free league. And even though I never actually ended up winning, I got really bored of the league because I just felt like there's nowhere I could go from there where my lineup and my depth was so stacked that it actually got boring for me because I was like, this team is too complete. And I know that sounds like such a first world problem, but it really was. Um, I will say, I think that you can compete in year two if you do it right. I also think that if you trade those picks as opposed to hanging on to all of them, there's a balance to be had. I know some people are like, oh, you need to trade all your rookie picks because rookies bust and going on the veterans. And then some people go, no, if rookies hit, their values go off the chart and never trade for a veteran and only chase young guys. Um, there's, as I've kind of emphasized a bunch tonight, it's the theme of the night. There's a balance to be had. And one of the things that I used to do all the time when I was early and new to Dynasty was I would continually be building and hoping that I could build that championship team for 10 years running or whatever it was and get these young studs that were going to be the next proven thing. The thing is, eventually, you do need to realize when it's your moment to push your chips in and try to win that championship. It could be because I am a New York sports fan and maybe not so much the Giants, but in baseball, I'm a Yankees fan. And to me, it's basically championship or bust and flags fly forever. So I definitely try to compete in every year. But if I do try to be realistic about my team and assess, the one thing I will say is the middle is the worst place you can be. If you figure out that you are a middling team, pick a direction and stick to it. Yeah. So to kind of piggyback off of what what Bobby said, you. So I did say earlier I didn't trade, I didn't keep most of my picks, and I traded most of them away. That has come back to, to hurt me, just like Bobby said. So I had a, a year I did all trade back, picked up, I think, 11 first, actually. So I had almost every single first-round pick. And then when it got to the non-point scoring season, I was out buying studs. And at the time, you know, Odell was coming off his big year. I traded 101 and I think two other mid to early first for Odell Beckham back when he was worth three plus first. And, you know, so I ended up trading a whole bunch of my first to this one team. And now he has Patrick Mahomes. He has Lamar Jackson. He has CMC and Saquon and Juju and Tyreek. And he stacked and I was competing with him the last two years and he won back to back. And I ended up having to uh, rebuild my team because I couldn't 
I couldn't compete with him. Uh, and I was tired of, you know, getting knocked out in the playoffs. And so it, it, you have like, like Bobby said, the theme of the show, there is a balance to be had, you know, you need to know your league and need to know your draft. I knew Barkley was coming in, but I was like, no, Odell's like, Barkley's not Odell. Barkley's not Odell. And, and it came back to backfire. And right now, like you can't, you can barely get a first for Odell. So it, it definitely can come back. So I think there is a, a, a balance to be had there. To be fair, you didn't know all those rookies were going to hit. These past few classes have been pretty ridiculous in yeah. how many have made a fantasy impact. So that's not totally on you. But at the same time, you see it on Twitter because Twitter is the place, for, obviously, where people go to die on hills. There are people who are like, you have to trade all your rookie picks or you have to keep all your rookie picks. There's a balance to be had. There's Sometimes there's value in selling your rookie picks. Sometimes there's value in keeping them. Ideally, what you do is end up with a balance of both. 100%. Yeah, I agree. That's definitely what I try and do, too. I try and hold my picks, but there's a time to move them, too. Um, one other point I wanted to touch on um, was startup trading, especially specifically in snake drafts, obviously. I know a lot of people say they struggle with startup values. I know one at least general rule of thumb for me, especially earlier in the draft, is that if I'm going to move down that the trade up I get needs to be at least twice the amount of the move down I'm getting. That's one way I try and judge trading and startups. Um, do you guys have any specific strategies for trading and startups? I, I often struggle to try and figure out exactly how to do it when, when you throw the future rookie picks in too. Um, I'm generally more, you know, forgiving them, but um, what do you guys think on trading down, trading up? What do you do? You have any kind of rules like that, or any general strategies you go by when, or you just feel it out, or what do you do? I'm probably the worst one to ask about this. Um, so I definitely I do trade during startups, but as I mentioned in our startup, I do it rarely. And I think part of it was in my very first dynasty startup, I fell for the basically new guy on the block trick which is someone went, oh, I have an early first and you have a late first. If you trade me your late first and your first round pick next year, I'll give you my early first. I went, wow, this guy's dumb. I'm going to get one of the best players in the deal. And I, not realizing that at the end of the first, there'd still be a ton of great guys and I was giving up a great rookie pick. And I that rookie pick came back similarly to Dustin's to haunt me in like championships too. So I think because I got burnt so early on, I got kind of gun shy about trading at all in startups. But ultimately, I do generally trade down. I'm a bit more hesitant to trade up. The value really has to be like screaming in my face for me to trade up because I just think there's value that tends to fall throughout the draft. And I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else at finding it, but I'm often able to find guys that I like at my picks. So I have a hard time talking myself into thinking I need to give up something on top of that to get someone else that maybe I like slightly more, but not enough to give up too much. Um, but in trading down, there's definitely value and I've seen it and I've done it. But overall, I'm definitely one of those guys who when I'm on the clock, I'm like, all right, I'm going to make this pick. And then I like have to talk myself into being like, all right, I will put this pick on the block for like 10 minutes. And it ultimately ends up being more like five minutes. And then I'm making my pick because you have to be very quick and let me know that you want to trade with me or else I'm just going to assume that I'm going to make my pick. And I realize I may be missing out on value, but I'm confident in my ability to do the waiver wire and make trades after the startup has happened. So, so for me, I, 
I usually, if somebody's coming to me to try to move up to my spot and I'm not actively looking to trade back, I always want them to throw in a future, you know, first or second, depending on where they're at in the draft. But I, it's going to be worth my while. Like I can find later guys and, you know, later on move ups and, and things like that. Like I get that, but I want something that is going to be worth my while that has the possibility of gaining value and, you know, future rookie picks. I know next year they're going to be worth more and they're going to increase in value. If you're coming to me and you want my spot and you want me to give up my player, because like Bobby said, I can find players I want all over the draft and in every round. So I want you to make it worth my while for me to give up my guy that I like. Yeah, and another thing I don't I I almost never will do, and I know people like to make offers doing this, is I'm never giving up usually this would be the case in a move up. I'm never giving up an extra startup pick. Like I'm not giving up a third and a fourth and to get into the second or whatever. It's because you know you're not gonna hit on every pick anyway, even in a startup. So I, I'm not sacrificing those extra picks just to move up and it seems to me like pretty much everyone at this point wants to move back anyway, but um, are you guys okay giving up more picks than you're, than you're getting back or no? It all depends. I mean, this is, I, I realize how frustrating this is um, or what I sound like, because I've spent years, as I said earlier, talking to John Bosch and I've started to adapt a lot of his mentality, but basically the answer is it depends on the value. I don't have hard and fast rules about things. If I see value in giving up extra picks to get a certain guy, I'll do it. That doesn't really bother me. What I've noticed lately, and this is kind of a tangent, is I've been in a trade rut where if I make trades, I need to be getting back the same position. It's almost like the only trade I can make lately is the trade where I give up a player that I like more at a position for a player I like less at that same position. And a swap of a different position where I get an upgrade and I can't like my brain literally cannot think of trades where I trade like a running back for a wide receiver right now. So I understand the mentality of the picks need to be equal because I think it's a similar mindset, but ultimately uh, it's about the value. And I'm trying, I'm really trying hard to break that mental rut because it's not uh, conducive to trades because most people don't want to trade the same positions for each other. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's something I would never do, but I mean, like I said, I'm generally not a trade up guy anyway, which is generally when you're going to have to get about your picks. Obviously, is when you're trading up, and so I mean, the 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 round disparity would have to be pretty big for me to have to give up extra picks, though. So, anything else? I think that's all we have on the sheet for startup. Time. I, I got I got one question. It's not really about a startup, but I'm in a chat with uh brian har right now and he's got a trade offer he needs some help on so he would give up miles sanders and rookie pick 102 for saquon barkley what do you guys think well so my first question is it super flex or is it not super flex i'm assuming super flex it's super flex and he has carson wentz and lamar jackson and what does he have at running back miles sanders uh, Tariq cohen Rojo, Philip Lindsay, and Miles Sanders. So he's not super strong there. I'm surprised Brian didn't just mass accept that. He's yeah. he's asking right now. <laughs> I'm surprised too. I think he's saying that just because he thinks it's a smash deal. I actually don't know if I do. I, and don't get me wrong. As a Giants fan, I love Saquon, obviously. But with his particular team, 
it might make more sense to try to trade down from the 102 for someone who really needs a quarterback and trade down to like the 105-ish range and take a guy like Dobbins so that he has Sanders and Dobbins instead of just the one ultra production from the running back. But it also depends. Like if it's like the trade addicts leagues where it's start one running back, then sure, go for Saquon. But then, sorry, Brian, but on the off chance that anything happens to uh, Saquon, you would have no death. Although at the same time, we saw last year that Saquon's a superhuman. And if he gets injured, he's like back in a week. I will say this. He did not look like, uh, speaking from someone who watched every single Giants game, and I know a lot of people watch the film too, he did not look like the same player pre and post injury. I think that he will be the same player he was pre-injury this year, but I think they rushed him back. Um, but that said, he did recover super quick, so I guess Brian would be fine. But I think I'd hang on to Miles Sanders in the one and two in his position. I I agree with Bobby. It's I think that's yeah. He's basically got Saquon and a bunch of junk. If he does that, if he like he said, I would prefer to take a running back. So I try and see if I could get somebody who wants to uh, or or Burrow there if a running back goes one hundred and one. Um, but I'd want to have you keep Miles Sanders and use the 102 to add another running back there. Well, I told him that we all said no, so see what he said. <laughs> okay. With that, I guess we will move to find me a trade. Find me a trade! Dustin, I'm going to let you go first with this crazy-ass league that we got a submission for this week. Yeah, you gave me gave me the fun one. So, um, so this league it's an eight team PPR, two quarterback, no tight end premium. It's an IDP and has head coaches. You start twenty five, and it is a seventy five man roster. Start one coach, two quarterbacks, three running backs, four wide receivers, one tight end, one kicker, one full defensive team, twelve IDP. Oh, and that's broken down by four DL, four linebackers, and four secondary players. Um, so I focus on the offensive side of this trade. Um, I've done a few IDP leagues, and to me, IDP, outside of the top linebackers, most your IDP players you can find replacements for, especially secondary players, defensive linemen. And with it being an eight-team league, like, I feel like those guys are pretty easy to replace. Um, he's made a couple trades. So I, I worked on his trade and then he DM'd me like, oh, I made this trade and I had to update it a couple of times. Um, but he he has a pretty decent roster. It's, it's pretty deep. Um, his running backs, I think, is where he could use a little bit of help. He has some depth. So he has Chris Carson, Drake, and then David Montgomery, Mostert, Marlon Mack. So he doesn't have that that star power, that kind of top end um, power that you need, kind of in an eighteen league. An eighteen league, like you know, you want you want your studs. So he's got a decent amount of tight ends on his team. He's got Kittle, Waller, Jarwin. So he's he's good there, and I think he has a couple on his taxi squad as well. So he's got some – he has like Dawson Knox, Sample also on his um, taxi squad. So tight end is one of the positions that he can easily give up some depth and not have to worry. So my trade was him giving up D- 
Darren Waller, and he has um, rookie picks 204, 206, 208. So giving up all three picks and Waller and getting Josh Jacobs. So on the DLF trade analyzer, it actually has all three picks and Waller as 436.8 and Jacobs is 485.9. So you're getting a little bit more value, but you know, in the rookie drafts, I think people are willing to pay up for those, those picks, especially in an 18 league picks 204, 206 and 208 are, are, are you're getting some high upside players and players that have a lot of value right now. So I think you could use that to your advantage in going out and getting, uh, getting the stud and, and Josh Jacobs, that's going to help solidify your running back team. And he's still young. I think he's only 21. I want to say 21 or 22. Um, so, you know, you still have him probably for a good three to four years. And so I think it's a deal that you can, you can get done. I wouldn't be nervous about adding another piece or two on, on the end. Um, to close it if you had to. Um, but I, I think it's a deal that makes sense and would help out this team. Yeah. I mean, I like the deal for the team that's receiving Jacobs. I, I do have my doubts whether that would be enough to get Jacobs. Uh, Jacobs is, is super highly rated right now. I feel like more so than I'm, I'm a probably a little lower on him than most. The, the, the passing work concerns me. Richard's still there, and they drafted Bowden. Um, and I know, especially in non-tight end premium, Waller can kind of be devalued, especially with all the weapons they added. I try, I tried to move him before the draft in a non-tight end premium league, and I had a ton of trouble doing it. Um, but I definitely like it if you can get it done. And I think, like you said, you may have to add a little more. And it's it's a little better than it sounds, too, because you say 204, 206, 208. But in a like you said in a in a eighteen league that's like you know one twelve and two o two and two o four, so um, it's worth a try. But I think you might have to add a little to it. Um, so I guess we will now. Uh, I I did want to mention too, um, just to remind people um, that you can um, submit trades um, for us to find for you. I meant to mention this at the top. But um, you can email it to it's dynastychunkiespod at gmail.com um, or DM the pod at dynastyjunkies, or you can DM either Dustin or I, and we'll give our Twitter handles at the end of the show. But anyway, I wanted to get into Bobby's trade. Um, and so I don't have to make him spat all this information. I will do it for him. Uh, I want to be nice to our guest. So. Um, Bobby's league um, that he's finding a trade for is a team, uh, 12 team, half PPR, super flex with a 1.0 tight end premium since it's half PPR. Um, starting 10, a QB, two RBs, three wide receivers, one tight end, super flex, and two flex. And uh, this is submitted by Caleb Smith at FF underscore C Smith. Um, he was undefeated two years ago, won the title, was runner-up last year, trying to make a push uh, to win it again this year. And the league is actually the league is actually transitioning to Superflex next year. So he's got uh, Zeke, Henry, Kamara at running back. He's got Evans, Hopkins, Preston Williams, Adam Thielen, uh, Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard, Travis Kelsey. So he's pretty. He's got a pretty loaded team, um, and Bobby's basically looking to find a trade to help him make that title push this year. Yeah, what's interesting is my trade will not seem like I'm trying to help him make a title push. 
But what I'm trying to do is help him make multiple title pushes because he did go all in. But with the team transitioning to Superflex, I thought he was a little weak at quarterback or a little weaker than I'd like him to be just because Matt Ryan's a good quarterback, but he's on the older side. Jared Goff was a guy that I really liked, but he's a little iffy at the moment, although I do expect that Rams offense to bounce back a bit. So the trade that I found, which is probably not going to be popular, was Zeke and Matt Ryan for Baker Mayfield, Leonard Fournette, and a 2021 first. The reason I'm saying this is because Ezekiel Elliott, whether you want to believe it or not, is going to be a declining asset soon in Dynasty. He's just not going to get quite the volume that he has in the past. And he's also getting up there in terms of age and has a lot of tread on the tires, as we say. Although I recently found out tread on your tires is a good thing, so we need to stop using that metaphor. Um, but Leonard Fournette, I realize, is also a declining asset. But I gave him Leonard Fournette. And again, this is what I was talking about with that mental block of you have to be getting the same positions back. So unfortunately, uh, Caleb, you got the guy who is stuck in this mode of thinking. However, Leonard Fournette is going to get run into the ground this year. So he'll help you with a title push at least this year. And he may end up on another team next year that will want to use him, assuming they sign him to a big contract. Then you get Baker Mayfield who lit it up as a rookie, disappointed last year but the Browns have done a bunch this offseason to address some of those issues, and I'm a believer. I also think uh, Baker has worked on his conditioning. We all saw the pictures of him with the major dad bod going on. I'm in no position to judge. I myself have much worse dad bod than Baker Mayfield has ever had in his life. So I think Baker Mayfield is a very good young quarterback. Then you also get the 2021 first to either trade for another asset or use to help you get a little bit younger. Um, the nice thing there too is since you're transitioning to Superflex, you'll have Baker, you'll have Jared Goff who are both young and you can build around. And so you won't really have to reach too much for quarterbacks and you can use that 2021 first or other draft picks going forward on rebuilding your running backs, your wide receivers and your tight ends, which is what I had in mind for you. So while it may not seem like I'm trying to help you win this year, I'm thinking about this year and the year after that and the year after that, even though I think we are very bad at predicting what will happen season to season, I did try to help you out at least with next season. Yeah, I agree with what you just said. Like, I'm not sure it's definitely, it's a, it, it's not really a title push move, but it's a good trade. Um, the value, um, we did put the value on the calculator. It's, it's pretty close to even as far as this goes. It's like 1,008 to 1,081. So it's a, it's a good trade value-wise. And I don't think it really hurts the title push, really, because I, I do expect to bounce back from Baker. Um, and, and like you said, I don't think Fournette's a huge drop-off from Zeke, at least in 2020. So... Um, I don't have a problem with the trade. It's just if he's okay with uh, not going totally all in and more looking a little, you know, forward, then I think it's a good deal. And he yeah, it will depend if he's a Yankee fan or not. If he's a Yankee fan and he's an unreasonable Yankee fan, like most of us are, then he'll hate this trade. If he can be reasonable, which a very select few Yankee fans are, then uh, he'll be okay with it. I like the analogy. Um, I can't stand the Yankees, 
I don't have any room to talk. I'm a, I'm a Mariners fan for baseball, you know, and we all know about the Mariners history right now. So, but I get the analogy and it makes sense. So I appreciate that. <laughs> you always got to be able to make fun of yourself just a little bit, just enough so that if you ever seem like you're getting too big for your breaches, people know, no, you're not. You're just, just the right amount. Self, the self-deprecating is always good. And uh, unless you have anything else, Dustin, I'll move on to my trade. Um, so this was submitted. I'm probably going to mess this guy's name up. Uh, Brian Persanke at B Persanke 23. Um, he is a, in a 14 team, one QB, half PPR, no tight end premium. Um, this one was actually on sleeper, which I just wanted to mention because this is a little harder for us to do on sleeper, but it can be done. So I wanted to point that out. Um, you would need to, you know, it's better off DMing us because with MFL, you can just send us the link and we can look at everything. It's a little, little more involved when we do a sleeper league, but we were able to do one here. Um, his league is a start nine, like I said, 14 team. It's a QB, two RBs, three wide receivers, one tight end, two flex, um, He's got a decent team. He thinks he can contend. I, I think he's probably right. It's a pretty decent for a 14-teamer. He's got um, Dak and Teddy at quarterback. And, again, it's only one QB, so that's fine. He's got Josh Jacobs, David Johnson, Tariq Cohen, Darius Geis, and Love, and Akers. And he's got at receiver Evans, Chark, Boyd, Devontae Parker, Mike Williams. He also drafted Brandon Ayuk. Um, his biggest weakness is that tight end, and he actually mentioned that when he submitted it to us, that he's kind of looking to strengthen his tight end room. So that's kind of where I focused. Um, he's got Ian Thomas, O.J. Howard, C.J. Azamo, but so not very much there. Um, so I just went for a one-for-one one trade. Um, he's got pretty decent depth at wide receiver. So uh, my trade was Tyler Boyd for Zach Ertz. Um, it, it actually, on the DLF analyzer, comes in, um with Tyler Boyd is is fairly significantly higher it's 294.2 for Boyd and 222.7 for Ertz um but I actually before I plugged it in there I actually thought it might need to be uh I thought it actually might come out on the Ertz side even in um non-premium with 14 teams I think that increases the tight end position a little more anyway and he he needs it to make a push here so um, and he's, like I said, he's got the depth at wide receiver. The guy he's trading him to has Fant and Goddard as well. So he can probably afford to trade Ertz. And his receiver room is pretty weak. He has, I think, um, Harry, Alshon, Jeffrey. Um, he had, I think, DJ Moore it was the one, you know, top guy he had. So it seemed to make sense to me for both sides. And uh, that's the trade I went with. What do you guys think? I can go on about this for a while, but and I don't mean to uh, call you out here, Rocky, but I absolutely hate this trade um, because one, as you said yourself, it's not any kind of tight end premium. Two, while Ertz is an agent, he is getting to be, I think he'll be 30 this coming season or 29, and they do have uh, Goddard behind him. I do think the Eagles are going to keep him around, but the reason I hate this trade isn't really because of Ertz. I actually like Ertz as a player and think the Dynasty community just kind of left him for dead last season for some reason, even though he wasn't yet. The reason I hate it is Tyler Boyd is an incredibly underrated wide receiver already. 
And then you add in Joe Burrow, who just lit up college and I think is going to do well in the NFL. And I think his price and value is going to rise well beyond what it already is. So if the trade calculator is already telling you and ADP is already telling you that Boyd is already more valuable than Ertz, this is not the time to be flipping him for Ertz. You want to see him blow up in a few games with Joe Burrow and then try to flip him for Ertz plus and maybe even Ertz plus plus. That's just my opinion, though. So I I tend to agree mostly with Bobby. This year, I think, is a little bit different of an offseason. I don't know how much training camp or even preseason Burrow is going to get with Boyd. Um, and AJ Green's coming back. And they drafted Higgins. Now I don't think Higgins is going to do much this year. Sorry, outhouse, but you know I I'm worried about the rapport there. If he needs to contend, I'm okay selling Boyd in a deal for Ertz. But I do think you know he's given us the best asset both on the analyzer and an ADP, so he should be getting something else back. But I'm okay. I'm okay with the framework of the deal. I just think he needs like a second round pick coming back or. A, a lesser piece coming back or another, maybe another upgrade somewhere else in the deal. But I'm fra- I'm okay with the framework of the deal. I just think there needs to be a little bit more value coming back with Ertz um, to close the gap. Yeah. If he pushes in this year and does this, it may work out for him, but in like a year's time value wise, he'll be kicking himself for doing it. It'll be one of those trades where he'll be like, all right, maybe it helped get me a championship. And the thing is, you never know what particular move led you to a championship, especially because there's so much variance. But there's definitely times when I've won championships and made moves where I gave up valuable young assets. And sometimes that is what you have to do. But there have been times where I definitely, like a year later, was like, I gave up pretty much another championship next year because of trading this guy and maybe another two championships. Yeah, Ertz's value is never going to increase from... Where it's, at. Yeah. it's already been declining the last couple of years, even though he had a great season last year, his value is never going to increase. So if you sell Boyd for Ertz just straight up, you are getting a declining asset already. Yeah. And I get what you both are saying, but I also think his fantasy value his production value is better than his trade value. Um, I think like Bobby said last year, and I think still now people are undervaluing Ertz. Um, for what he can produce, the, the offense in in Philadelphia still tends to run through uh, Ertz and Goddard to some extent. And I guess I'm just not as high on Boyd as Bobby is, and maybe you are, Dustin. I, I do like him. He's you know he's a good young receiver, and but I he's you know I don't think his value is going to explode. I think he's basically a wide receiver too. Um, I don't expect it to improve greatly this year with Burrow. I, I don't think it'll decline, um, but I don't ever see him being in the wide receiver one range. And I, I wasn't sure he could get a higher range tight end for another receiver. I didn't want to, I didn't want to send Shark or Evans who I value more than Boyd. So um, that's why I went with this trade. So I believe that's the, end of our show sheet so i guess um we will sign off now um i want to thank bobby for being here um do you want to just uh uh, anything else you want to say before we go off anything else you want to plug anything (laughs) no i don't i don't have anything to plug uh thank you guys for 
having me on. It's an honor to be the first uh, non DAPN. Is that right? DAPN network or is it just DAP network? DAP network. Uh, it's an honor to be the first non DAP network uh, guest on your podcast. It's been awesome getting to know you guys in our definitely not a new league, which has been around for, I think, 20 years or even from before I was born. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can find me. I'm always happy to talk with pretty much anybody on Twitter at Rep Fantasy, like I mentioned earlier. And on the occasion that I do write an article, you can find it exclusively on Dynasty League Football. Thanks again for having me on, guys. Yep. And Dustin, you want to give the Twitter handles? and Yeah. Once again, Bobby, thanks for jumping on. Um, it's been awesome just getting to know you the last 20 years, as as you said. But no, really, you guys, go follow Bobby. He's always putting out con- content. Um, he's always having some good Twitter debates out there. You know, his his Drew Lachlan, we'll see what, what happens with that at the end of the year. But, um, you know, he's just a great guy to go out and talk football with. So definitely go check him out. I'm at Dynasty Junkie FF on Twitter. You guys, come follow me. Uh, send me any DMs. You guys want want me to look at your roster? You just want to talk values? You want to talk about anything? Just just hit me up and follow the pod at, at Dynasty Junkies on on Twitter. Um, the the podcast will be out on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean. Just for look for the Dynasty Junkies podcast, and you'll find us. Thanks for listening. And again, I'm at Dynasty FF Addict. Make sure you follow the uh, DAP Network too at DAP underscore Network. Um, if you like what you heard, please rate, uh, subscribe and review, and we'll talk to you next week. Junkies out.